Good morning, Taylor's Faith family. It is so good to see you. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 in your Bible. Let's continue to worship the Lord. I ask you to open to that place in God's Word. We were there just a few moments ago when we read the Scriptures together. We were in chapter 3. I want you to come back to chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, let me do two things. Number one, say thank you to your pastor and to Jeremy others for giving me uh, the opportunity to, to do this, uh, uh, trusting me. I know that's, uh, that's, not, a, that's not a small thing uh, for pastors to do, and so I, uh, I don't take that lightly, and I'm grateful for it. Second thing, I do want to bring you greetings uh, from Dr. Aiken, our president at Southeastern Seminary. Uh, I know he regrets uh, not being able to be here, didn't plan that, uh, would love to be standing here this morning. He loves you. He loves this church. He loves the partnership that we have uh, with you. And so you pray for him uh, as he recovers from being ill. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verses 15 through 18 over you. The Apostle Paul is the human author, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as we read together about a moment ago. And you know what that means? That means this is God's word for us and we have the chance to hear his voice this morning. Let's see what he says. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article on something I, I was not familiar with. I had not heard about it. Possibly some of you have. It certainly shocked me uh, and grieved me. The article was about uh, what's called transableism. I don't know if you've heard about that or not, but it's, uh, uh, it's the idea of someone uh, transitioning from their physical body that is in good health to being disabled. And there are actually people that are making that decision, not wanting to identify as someone who has a healthy body, but to identify as someone who is disabled. It's led some people to, uh, to maim themselves, uh, to request surgeons to perform some surgery on them that would make them disabled. And you know that that is um, maybe just the latest uh, in an entire movement of transitioning in which people are wanting to distance themselves from the way they were born uh, to another identity. And certainly it's just a manifestation of the depravity of our world and a world spinning out of control. And it grieves us, doesn't it? But, but I, wonder, I wonder if it grieves our Lord any less when some of his children and some of his churches want to 
distance themselves from the mission that he saved them to be on. We might call it transmissionalism. I don't know if that's a word or not. I Googled it and couldn't find it. Maybe I made it up, but I'm using it this morning to help us to think about that, that, that decision that some Christians make and some churches make to, to identify with something to a purpose in life that is less than what they were saved to be. And Pastor has already reminded us about the mission that we're on, right? This is your mission as a congregation. But it's also the mission that every single one of us as individuals have been given and left on the planet to accomplish. So it really doesn't matter what our vocation is, does it? It doesn't matter how we put bread on our table, whether we're, we're preachers or pastors or missionaries or seminary professors or engineers or CPAs or stay-at-home moms or athletes or students. It really doesn't matter. Every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ have been left on the planet for the same reason, and that's to make disciples of all people. That's your mission. So I just want you to think about that this morning. Does it grieve our Lord any less when some of us and some of our churches want to transition from living out that mission to a lesser purpose. It, it, it might be to raise a good family, which is a good thing. Might be to pursue a career that we love, which is a good thing. Might be to, to be grandparents. It might be to to, to, to establish financial security. It, it might be even to just be a part of a local church and, 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 and engage in the activities of the lo local church without really ever engaging and participating in the mission that we've been left on the planet to accomplish. The Apostle Paul's writing to a young man, a pastor, no doubt, a young man who was at least tempted to transition from the mission that God had left him on the planet to accomplish. We read first and second Timothy, it appears that this young pastor was close to throwing in the towel, walking off the track. Second Timothy chapter one and two were given a picture of of a relay race, really. And Paul is, is using what we know of as a relay race to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of describe this mission. So in the early parts of chapter one, he, he talks about how his ancestors uh, uh, kind of handed what's called the baton to him, and he handed it to Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and they handed it to him. And then if you look at the beginning of chapter two, Paul's instructing Timothy to, in verse two, to take what you've heard from me among many witnesses and commit those to faithful men. So this is basically a a, 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 a team, it's a team that is passing a baton from one individual, one generation to the next. It is a picture of the disciple-making mission that you've been given, that I've been given. The baton in this text is very clear. Paul identifies it. It's the gospel. 
He, he describes it a number of different ways. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he describes it as the story of, of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and, and, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's a pretty good capsule of the gospel. He's going to describe it in, in verse 13 as the pattern of sound words. He'll describe it in verse 14 as the good deposit which has been entrusted to you. And as I said in chapter 2, verse 2, he describes it as what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's not being vague. He's, he's, he's not leaving it up to our imagination as to the stewardship that we've been given. He's been very clear. And that is that we are responsible for preserving this gospel in our own generation and passing it on to people in the next. Getting it to every possible place, every person on the planet. That's why you're here today. That's why you're here today. If you're a part of a faith family like this, it's why you exist. But some of us are tempted, aren't we, like Timothy? We're tempted to transition to a lesser identity, a lesser purpose, something that's different than we were born again to do. And so it's, it's important that we ask the question, why does... The Holy Spirit insert this little paragraph about a guy that we don't hear a lot about, doesn't get a lot of airtime. Why did the Holy Spirit insert this little paragraph at this particular place when Paul is writing to a pastor? He's writing to a Christian who is tempted to identify with something else other than the mission that he was given. Maybe there's some things that would be familiar to you. I think he does it. I think the Holy Spirit does it to remind us about this, that we as individual believers and we as churches, every single one of us, must do whatever it takes, make whatever sacrifice we must make in order to accomplish this mission, in order to make disciples of all people. And I think this guy named Onesiphorus demonstrates how we go about doing that, at least in part. So let me challenge you with these three, these three exhortations, I think, that grow out of Onesiphorus' life. Here's the first one. We must be steadfast in this mission. We must be steadfast in this mission. Paul introduces this segment here by telling us about some people that stood in contrast to this guy named Onesiphorus. We don't know why these people, including Figilus and Hermogenes in verse 15, walked away from Paul in the season, but what we do know is that he walked away from, these guys walked away from him and a whole host of others during his greatest hour of need in a crucial time for gospel advancement. And, 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 and the apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit introduces these these defectors, he introduces these people who, who, who walked away from the mission in order to contrast them with the guy he's about to introduce. 
So I want you to think just a minute about why Timothy was in a position where he, where he would be identified with this group as opposed to Onesiphorus. See if you can identify with, with some of these things, okay? Let me tell you what was going on in Timothy's life. Nero, in the early part of the 7th century AD, had turned up the heat. Rome was crumbling, so Nero turned up the heat on Christians, and, and so there was beginning to be, it wasn't in full-blown force yet, but there was beginning to be a little bit more pressure, pushback against the Christian faith. So one of the things is Timothy apparently was scared. He was about to lose his mentor, and he was going to lose his mentor in a time where there was intensifying persecution against believers in Christ. Maybe some of us have been there. Not only that, he had some health problems. We know this from 1 Timothy. Paul prescribed some medicine for him. He seemed to be struggling a little bit just in his physical condition. Not only that, he was inexperienced. We're also told in 1 Timothy that there was a lot of people that didn't want to follow his leadership because he was so young. So Timothy was inexperienced. In addition to that, he was facing an onslaught of false teaching within the church and outside of the church. And if that weren't enough, it just seems in the tenor of these two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy that this guy was just a little naturally timid. He didn't know how to work a room. He might have been the guy who would have said, you know, that witnessing thing just doesn't come naturally for me. So what about it? Are any of those things, things you can identify with? You ever find yourself fearful about being a disciple maker, being on mission, being on the front lines, telling people about Jesus? Some of you this morning may be struggling with health issues and, and those health issues become excuses sometimes. Well, I've got this to deal with and this obviously is the most important thing so I don't have time to really be involved in that. Some of us this morning are inexperienced. You notice how I put myself with the young crowd there. Uh, where some of us are, you know, just don't have a lot of experience with this, right? And we say, well, you know, I need to learn some more. I need to get a little bit more training. All of us, all of us are bombarded every day with false teaching on the internet, on the news, in life in general. Sometimes it finds its way into the local church. And there's a whole lot of us this morning that could identify with just being naturally timid, right? We just say, gosh, I just don't have the personality to engage people with the gospel and, and really be a part of that. You see, all of those things and more, all of those things and more can tempt us to want to identify with a purpose, with a mission that is less than the one that we've been left on the planet to create. And here the apostle Paul comes and he briefly mentions these people that are walking away. They're throwing in the towel. They're setting down the, the baton. And he does it to point to a guy who didn't desert the gospel but was devoted to the gospel. And he basically points to Onesiphorus and he says... Be steadfast in this. And I want to say this to you as individuals, as I say it to myself. I want to say it to you to a very, as a very missional church who is doing this. But I know we'll face temptations along the way to give your time, attention, and resources to lesser things. If you haven't already, you will face those temptations. Paylor's Faith family, be steadfast in this mission that you're on. 
This is why God's left you on the planet as individuals. Let's be steadfast in this, making no excuses, figuring out by the grace of God, how do we continue to stay on the track, running the relay race, regardless of what's coming against us? Be steadfast in this mission. Secondly, we must serve on our mission. We must serve on this mission. So you look in verse 16. This is where Paul actually introduces us to this guy named Onesiphorus. You know, I'm intrigued by the trend uh, in Christian circles in our day for parents to name their kids uh, after biblical characters. I think that's a really cool thing. Uh, But it is a little bit intimidating for me, I'll tell you, when, uh, you know, I meet some of you and... And you say, well, this is little Mary, and this is little Martha, and this is Jeremiah. And then you say, well, what are your kids' names? And kind of sheepishly, I have to say, Clint and Shane and Dallas. It's like we were, got the inspiration for our kids' name while we were watching John Wayne movies or something, you know. But I will tell you this. I've never had, I've never had any Christian parents ever tell me that they named their kid Onesiphorus. Be kind of strange, wouldn't it? Here's little Oni, you know. So, but I don't know. Maybe we should. You know what his name means? It means help bringer. And that's a good name. And that's exactly what this guy did. Onesiphorus. We're told in these verses. Notice he often refreshed me. This is what Paul says. Look down in verse 17. He arrived in Rome. He searched for me earnestly, and he found me. Look at the end of verse 18. You know well the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is absolutely fascinating to me. That in this moment, when gospel advancement is on the line, in Timothy's life at least, this is the guy that Paul uses to bring up as an inspiration to stay in the race. I mean, think about it. You know, this is a guy that, you know, we don't have any indication, preached sermons. We don't have any indication that he, he was on the platform. He held any positions or any offices. Does it seem that this is a guy who had a lot of followers on social media and friends? Paul chooses when he could have chosen. He could have chosen somebody like Peter. He could have chosen John, who had a relationship with this church. He, he could have chosen James, that, that was a, a, a martyr, a pastor there in Jerusalem as the church began in its early. There, there are all kinds of characters who had broader platforms, but they, 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 had, they had more followers than this guy did. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Timothy's darkest hour, Paul chooses a guy. Paul chooses a guy that has a funny name and gets about three or four verses in the Bible. Just a normal guy. An average church member. And he says, he says, this guy refreshed me. This guy came looking for me. This guy served you and served me. And the apostle Paul points to him and he says, Timothy, be like him. Be like him. You notice it says there, Paul says that he wasn't ashamed of my change. This is one of the ways that we we see the tie together with everything Paul is saying in and around this paragraph. 
Because you see, Paul said the same thing about himself back up in verse 12. If you look there in your Bible, he says, but I'm not ashamed. And this is the very reason that why back there in verse 8 of chapter 1, he said to Timothy, you don't be ashamed. Here's a guy who was tempted to be ashamed of his identity. He was tempted to be ashamed of the, of, of the identity of being a missional believer that was left on the planet for this one purpose, and that is to advance this gospel and to multiply disciples And Paul writes this letter to a guy that's about to walk off the track and say, don't you dare, don't you dare be ashamed. You know, that list of things, you know, that I gave, he was scared, he had health problems, he was inexperienced, facing false teaching, maybe a little naturally timid. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking Paul writes a letter to this guy at this time and says something like this. He says, hey, bro, I didn't see all this coming. Didn't know it was gonna play out like this. Why don't you just... Why don't you just lay low for a while? Uh, you know, just kind of settle down. Let the dust settle, and then you can reassess things and see if you want to get back on the track. But he didn't. He writes to Timothy, and right out of the gate, he says, don't you even think about quitting. The gospel is too important. Time is too short. The stakes are too high. Timothy, don't be ashamed of your identity. Don't be ashamed of the work that God's given you. It's the most important work. I wasn't ashamed, Paul said. And then he tells him about this guy, average church member. Three or four verses in the Bible, funny name. And he says, this guy wasn't ashamed. He stayed on the track, carrying the baton, living out his identity, serving the church, serving in some way, in some way to help the baton get around the track to advance the gospel and make disciples. I don't know what your deal is. What I do know is just being here a short time and saying there are a lot of you already doing this. You're already doing this. Maybe it's all of you. I hope it is. You're serving. You're finding ways. You're not just spectators. You don't just come sing the songs Listen to the sermons, give your money, and go home. You're invested in this faith family. But maybe there are some this morning that do fit into that category. Do fit into that category because for whatever reason, there has been this tendency to distance yourself from the identity that you were born again to have, at least in this life, in this season, this mission that you're on. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. It's going to take every single one of us. It's going to take every single one of you to be serving on this mission. Number three, and finally, let me give you this challenge. We must sacrifice ourselves for this mission. We must sacrifice ourselves for this mission. You know, from all indications in this paragraph right here, Onesiphorus lost his life in this endeavor. You say, well, why would you think that? Well, number one, all the verbs are in the past tense. He's not saying Onesiphorus continues to do this. He says he did all of these things. In addition to that, when he pronounces this prayer of blessing in verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy, he doesn't 
pray it for Onesiphorus. He prays it for Onesiphorus's household. Similar type of thing down in verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Why not this day? He looks into the future. There's another indication a couple of chapters over at the end of this letter in chapter 4. You can look at it in verse 19. Paul's giving his closing greetings. A lot of times we don't think these things are that important, but I think this is interesting when he says, greet Prissa and Aquila in verse 19 and the household of Onesiphorus. Why doesn't he say greet Onesiphorus? Now, we don't know how it happened and we don't know exactly when it happened, but But the idea that's communicated here is that this steadfastness and this service got this guy in trouble to the point that he lost his life. You remember what I said to you about Nero uh, turning up the heat on believers in this time? You see, this was a day in which Christians were hightailing it out of Rome. And here comes Onesiphorus swimming upstream against a sea of terrified faces. When everybody else is going to safety, Onesiphorus is going into Rome to try to fight Paul. And obviously he did. Somewhere along the line, whether it was during that or afterward, apparently it cost this guy's life. For more than two centuries now, Christians in America have been insulated from the threat of physical attack because of our faith. Most of us, maybe the worst we've experienced is somebody laughed at us. Maybe it cost some of us a relationship or a business deal along the way, but pretty much we have been protected. We've known about it. We've prayed for brothers and sisters in Christ across the pond uh, that, that have been, that experience it every day. We know it's a reality, but by and large, we really haven't had to face it. But if you don't realize that that's changing, you're not paying attention. It was almost like with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, somebody flipped a switch and it became open season on Christians. Vandalism in churches, vandalism in crisis pregnancy centers, even some members of the media called for the death of Christians, literally. And beloved, listen to me, it's just going to get worse. I think in my lifetime, in my lifetime, we're going to see here on our shores, the physical, physical persecution of believers. I don't know what degree. I don't know how it would happen. But here's the question I want to ask you. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you willing to so identify with this mission? To so identify with this reason that you have been born again and left on this planet for, are you willing to identify with it in such a way that you're ready for the physical persecution that it might bring? Likely, just like through Christian history, not every Christian will die for their faith, even though they may be living for the gospel. And that's going to be true in our day and time. And our kids stay in time, and our grandkids stay in time. Not everybody will die. But I think, I think here in the United States of America, this is coming in a way that we've never seen before. 
And we've got to ask the question, are we ready for it? You see, this is where these words, Onesiphorus was not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Timothy, don't you be ashamed. And I want to say to you today, believer in Jesus Christ as an individual, I want to say to you, Taylor's First Baptist Church, don't you be ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. But be ready to sacrifice yourself, your time, which many of you are already doing, your resources, which this church is already doing. But be ready to sacrifice your life for this mission. It's worth it. It's worth it. And this is what our Lord has called us to do. Let me ask you to bow together in just a moment. I want to pray. After I pray, we're going to enter into a season that you're used to at this church. And, and that is a season of response. Um, you know, God's word always demands a response if uh, you are a believer in Jesus Christ uh, today, this has been a word from God to you, to us, and it demands a response. It, it demands us to say yes to it, to bend our hearts and our wills to it. And I want to I wanna challenge you to do that today. I want to challenge you to resolve afresh, even if you've already done it. I want to I challenge you to to say, I, I'm going to be steadfast in this. We're going to be steadfast in this. To resolve afresh in your heart today. To say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to keep serving. Some of you are already doing that. Most of you. Maybe all of you. But if you're not, would you resolve today to say, you know, I need to get in the game. I need to get in the game. And I need to serve on this mission. And then for all of us to resolve afresh this morning say as physical persecution the risk of the loss of life the risk of my livelihood maybe my health I'm ready to sacrifice for this mission would you do that this morning in your heart right where you're seated right where you're hearing this message some of you this morning may want to drive a stake in this by by getting up physically and coming, maybe making an altar out of these steps down here, or there'll be one of your pastors here that you may want to ask to pray for you. And I just, I just want to invite you to do that. Some of you have been overhearing this message tonight, today, a message that's largely been to the church, but as you hear it, you, in your heart of hearts, know I'm not there yet. I've, I've not repented of my sins, placed my faith in Jesus. I want you to know this gospel baton that we're carrying, it's a message for you. And if you've never done that, I invite you today, right where you're seated, turn your heart to God in repentance and, and trust Jesus Christ to do what only he can do. I invite you to do that right now. Maybe if that's what your heart's telling you, maybe when we start singing in a minute, you'd be willing to get up and come and let this pastor know down here. Let this staff member know and just say today, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior and Lord. There may be other decisions. This is your time. This is our time together to respond. Lord, we need your help with this. We pray in the name of Jesus. You would give us courage like we've never had before, boldness 
like we've never had in this moment, Lord. Let this be a time of spiritual decision that honors you. We yield ourselves to you to that end. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet as we worship the Lord through song?